Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! You're listening to Left to Our Own Devices, the podcast dedicated to everything product security. Okay, so I'm very excited about our guest today because she has a, a very different background than the people we usually speak with. Her name is Mimi Gross, uh, also known as the cybersecurity matchmaker. She's an expert in, uh, in cybersecurity recruiting and has helped dozens of companies find the right talents to join their teams. She's also the host of a wonderful LinkedIn vlog aptly called uh, the Cybersecurity Matchmaker. What else? Uh, so she's here to discuss the, the one, if not the toughest challenges, I think, in cybersecurity today, which is uh, finding great talent. So uh, Mimi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. This is great. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into cybersecurity matchmaking. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we could start with the fact that I am by nature a matchmaker. I love, I've always loved connecting people. I worked for a while in the nonprofit world. Everything I always did had to do with connecting people, either donors or grant receivers, all kinds of things. I always loved doing that. So that's number one. It's always been a part of who I am. How did I get to be a cybersecurity matchmaker? That's a very long story, <laughs> but I'll say it. I mean, I saw my husband was a rabbi. And so as a rabbi's wife, I was also just like as a volunteer, always matchmaking and connecting different people for different purposes with real purpose and, you know, hoping for real outcomes for each of the parties. So at a certain point, I was in nonprofit, I wanted a career change and I just thought, I'm going to do something that I don't have to retrain for. I can use all of my skills and then do something that is a little more, you know, like in the business world. So I ran into somebody who was a recruiter and she was like telling me how happy she was, how much she loved her work. And I started to look into it. And from that moment on, I said, I'm meant to be a recruiter. And I just dug in, volunteered interned, tried to learn everything I could about the industry. I happen to love cybersecurity. I have tried other things. And occasionally I have clients who would like to introduce me to very cool startups and other industries. And I'll think, oh, that sounds like a really interesting startup. And every time I come back to cybersecurity, I think about it, like, why do I like it so much? And I think it's why a lot of people in cyber do like it. Now we're talking about people who are maybe more in the sales and marketing world like why would why would a sales and marketing person care you know or have a passion for cybersecurity so what i've come to like why i was so drawn to it and can't leave it it's very exciting it's very dynamic it's very i guess vital you know there's okay slack is cool like slack changed the world zoom job <laughs> changed the world right like it's real good stuff but there's something about the good guys and bad guys in cybersecurity. I mean, it's right. like what other industry that's like a tech industry has like actual bad guys. 
<laughs> like it's very <laughs> exciting. So that's, wow. I mean, I think that's one thing. And then the other thing that I loved about cybersecurity is the metaphors. It's a technical industry, but every complicated concept in cybersecurity has an amazing metaphor attached to it. You know, like the house metaphor is like the best, most basic one, like how many ways to, right. to break into a house. So you can explain to anyone in a very basic way, probably every concept in cybersecurity. That is my passion for it in a nutshell. So I have a question, actually, before I jump into the question I wanted, just kind of like a follow-up. So have you ever placed a rehabilitated hacker, one of those bad guys, one of those black hats into a good guy role? I don't know if I would, if I would know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think if there's right. a black hatter who's coming over, there's probably a three-letter agency who's facilitating that. <laughs> That's just my <laughs> guess. <laughs> but I could right. be wrong. Now that's interesting. Okay. No, it happens. You know, sometimes they tell them until, you know, instead of going to jail, join the three-letter, you know, organization. <laughs> that happens all the idea. time. No, so I, you think about it, it's not black and white, and that's a little bit freaky, but what do you do? So we repeatedly hear from product security teams that finding the right talent is one of the toughest challenges they face. In fact, according to a survey we recently conducted among medical device cybersecurity professionals, it seems like they almost gave up on finding great people and are trying to find other ways of dealing with the talent shortages. You know, they're thinking about things like getting better tools or automated tools. So how did we get there? You know, why is cybersecurity talent so difficult to find? It's a really good question. I think that all talent right now is hard to find. It's a strange time. The number one, on top of everything else, people are risk adverse. So that means if they're good at what they do, the likelihood is they're being treated well in their current role because of what's going on. And to take somebody who's great out of a current role is much harder than it ever was. You know, so that's number one. It's just like risk adverse. People are like, we don't know what the hell's going on tomorrow. You know, in the world. So I'm not going to start something new when I got something good going. So that used to be different. I found people were way more open to something that would be exciting and new before COVID. So that's like right. number one. And like I said, like some companies are, are getting really smart to it and are just treating people better. And, you know, I think with this work from home, people are just happy and they're kind of like getting away with less than eight hour work days. <laughs> and it's just like the idea of, you know, having to now be accountable to a new boss and a new thing. It's just, they're in a groove. That's it. Right. So that's one thing. Number two, I think that because there's, there's so much hiring that needs to be done, it's very hard to stay human in the hiring process. So we're always trying to automate things and AI and all that stuff. And I can tell you as a recruiter, every person I talk to, I am having like a real chemical interaction with, you know, like I am exchanging chemistry. We're seeing, okay, who is this person? Would they get along with this founder? If it's a senior role, you know, in an early stage, would they get along with the CMO? Are they going to be able to respectfully report to that person based on their like really nuanced, like looking at their experiences? contrasted to the experiences of the person they're going to be reporting into. Will they respect that person? 
They want to learn from that person. Obviously, it happens very quickly. (laughs) I have ADHD, so everything happens very, very quickly. (laughs) But it is happening. I mean, those are things I have on my checklist. Those are things that I am thinking about. But what about the actual expertise, the cybersecurity expertise, the knowledge? That's a great question. That is important. Everybody I'm talking to has to have that baseline, but it's all chemistry. And do you find that there is a shortage? You know, I think that that is probably something that's like a little a little bit more of a deeper conversation if we were talking to real technical recruiters. Because mm. deep technical recruiters, I think, are probably seeing a little bit of a different angle. But I think that they would probably say similar things because I've done a little bit of that. And I think what ends up happening is with a lot of technical roles, more than the roles that I usually do, things can look the same. It's just like, oh, same old thing, same old thing. It's not clear that there's a growth path. You're you're asking if the skills shortage is there. I, I really don't. I hear everyone talk about it. I have to believe it's true. I see all these great schools opening up, which I think is awesome. I, I'm a big believer in no college if you don't, you know, need it. Right. I think that it's such a waste of time and money. And like, imagine starting your life off without debt and being really smart, but just like not wanting to study like Greek literature a quarter of the time that you're trying to study computer science. And like, right, right. you know, I'm just saying like, let them read science fiction <laughs> for literature. It's not like, I mean, why do they need that? It, it doesn't make any sense. So I think there's a lot of acceptance around that. And that's awesome. So if it's true, which I assume it is, that there's a skills shortage, I think that is the way people are really addressing it beautifully. And the bigger companies can definitely have the capacity to do what's needed to really integrate those people. It obviously takes more effort to hire someone like that. You'll need a mentor and all those things. But big companies are definitely seeing the value in that. And I I love to see it. I'm seeing it everywhere. So I have to tell you, uh, I'm not going to say I agree with the no college online here because my children might be listening in. But <laughs> our first, the first episode that we had of this podcast, we interviewed a 19-year-old who at the age of 15 convinced the local German government that he should be allowed to do cybersecurity, homegrown, you know, home-learned uh, cybersecurity three days a week and only come into school two days a week. And he what? started his first consulting business at 17 with his father signing off on the, uh, the official documents. That's and amazing. A few months ago, he was published having broken into 28 Teslas from his little village in Germany. And so he's like all over, you know, he's on CNN and, uh, you know, whatever, Fortune. And- if you want talent, right? Like, I think Israel does a great job. I am, have no doubt that Unity 200 knows all the teenagers. <laughs> right i mean it's gotta be but like i don't think that's true in america i would be shocked if they're actually thinking that way in america yeah i think you hit an interesting point which is you you can't learn security in school it's just it's just not possible so if you look at how much time you invest in you know school versus just trying it out and learning and and you know and, and getting mentors and stuff like that the ROI on, on, on not going to school is, is just better when it comes to security. There's no other way of saying it. So that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's probably so many hackers out there or just people who are more veterans who, if there was a really well 
formulated system for mentorship and things like that, that people would be very excited. It's a very generous community. I think that right. the cybersecurity people love to like see the next generation. It's it's fun because, you know, it's an art. And right, so right. when you see someone who's talented, who's young, if you're like a more senior veteran talent, you're going to get excited by that. Yeah. You're going to want to develop it. But if it's just kind of random here and there, it's not systemized, then, you know, you can't get as much out of it. Anything that's not right. organized. So so here's something I'm curious about. Uh, I think that the talent shortage problem is, you know, it's, it's prominent everywhere, but it's especially true when it comes to enterprises, right? Because in, in a lot of ways, startups find it easier to recruit great young talent. You know, they have a lot to offer. But if you're thinking about big manufacturers, like manufacturers in the automotive or the medical device industry, it's less, it's less easy for them, right? So you're working with a lot of startups. And I'm curious, what do you think are some of the things that big companies can learn from the small companies when it comes to attracting great talent? That's a, a really great question. I actually, I hope I can say this, but I did once work for one of the contractors who recruits for I'll just say one of the major auto manufacturers. <laughs> and we were helping them find in Michigan. <laughs> we were helping <laughs> them find, you know, some technical talent. And the system shocked me, uh, to be honest. So the person that I was partnering with was like one of, let's say, 16 people, like kind of more private agencies that were working on these openings. So let's say 16 people for one opening. And it was kind of this very systemized, rigid way of doing things. Like, of course, like none of us had met the hiring manager. So we couldn't incorporate the personality piece. We couldn't do any of that. So it really was like on paper type of thing. I tried it once because it was very interesting. And I thought, wow, like to recruit for this huge corporation, like I'll try it out to see if that could be a, you know, a branch of my business. It was so disheartening because first of all, it was just like, they're getting the same call 16 times. Right. And so obviously, you know, I think my talent with recruiting is that I really do make real relationships with people, but that takes time. So meanwhile, you just have somebody annoyed because they've seen the same job a hundred times. It's kind of like the systems are very impersonal when it comes to these corporations. And right. I understand it makes sense to do that. But what startups do that I think corporations could incorporate is real employer branding. Like we're not talking about like fake commercials. We're talking about really thinking of creative and strategic ways to personalize the process. And that that requires authenticity. So I'm saying, you know, you can't just have the, the audiovisual marketing people come in and, and do a commercial about it. You have to have real people kind of thinking of exactly who you're trying to attract, why they would like to be here. It's not going to be everyone. You're trying not to attract every developer. You want a certain person, like what person's going to do well here and then really do some employer branding. I mean, and that could be regular employees who are happy there, just reaching out and being available, taking people out to coffee. I mean, you think like, wow, could Volkswagen, could, you know, could these like huge companies, could they do something like that? If they looked at the money they spent on recruiters, <laughs> they could do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I mean, recruiting is one of these strange little things because there's so many of us, they think, oh, we'll just do the outsource thing. And I tell this to my clients, like, 
I, I want to empower my clients to do their own recruiting. I, I love when that happens. Look, I don't need to make every placement for you. I'll, I'll make one or two and hopefully it'll be like the best one you've ever found. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, I want my companies to be, it also helps me. I want you guys to be ambassadoring yourselves as well. And startups do a great job of it because, you know, you have to. And the big companies could easily do it. It just, it would take, you know, sincere investigation to figure out the right way. Right. So you've been doing cybersecurity matchmaking now for a long time. So what would you say are the differences in cybersecurity matchmaking to matchmaking as a rabbi's wife? So nothing. I mean, (laughs) recruiting is dating. I I can't believe I didn't say this before because this is what I always say. (laughs) But recruiting is like dating. Now, it's a little less like dating in larger corporations because you're talking about like more of a plastic veneer, which is why corporations could become more human and actually could do recruiting like dating, which I think is why, you know, startup recruiting is more appealing and exciting. But everything comes down to chemistry. Of course, you have to have checklists of skill sets. You have to have checklists of experience, all of these things. But at the end of the day, it is chemistry because I will talk about startups, but I really do think it applies all around. It's just that it requires more effort to create this in larger companies, but you need a lot out of somebody when they're working for a startup. You want their whole self. You want them to feel invested. I talk to founders about this all the time because they're so invested. And like, how do you translate that passion into somebody who's just getting a salary? So what I've seen time and time again is if the person's really excited about the people that they're working with, they will go that extra mile. Those relationships that your employees develop with each other and with you too, but mostly with each other is where you're going to get that passion and that like them thinking about it before they go to sleep at night and thinking about it when they wake up and like, you know, having a problem and and them not just checking out at 5 p.m. Like it's bothering them all day until they figure it out. So I think that that's really like where the dating thing comes in and where I bring it into like really practical recruiting. So for example, if someone is interviewing, I just had a situation a couple a couple weeks ago where perfect on paper, everybody met the person, very pleasant, kept moving. And then, you know, I kept saying, so, so are people excited? And, and they're like, there's something not excited, but I think it could work. It could work. It just, it's not going to carry it to the finish line. I, I advise them to not go ahead because I do think there has to be excitement. You have to want to learn from that person. You have to feel that they're somebody you want to talk to every day, somebody you want to give your problems to, somebody you want to take problems from. So I think when you take dating and you take recruiting, you know, the the most basic advice is like, listen to the chemistry, listen to red flags. If there's red flags, but like your logic is telling you something else, like make sure you resolve a red flag before you go ahead. And I've seen that every time, like every time I've ignored a red flag, it's come up again later. So I'm very, very vigilant about red flags. So in that case, what practical tips do you have for product and device security teams for 2022? Let's say the don't do this when you're trying to recruit cybersecurity professionals. 
Okay, so I think that you know we talked a lot about the 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 state of the market. It's very hard to hire right now. So the best advice I can say is don't think that it means you're groveling if you have to court a candidate. You can like same thing in dating. You don't have to be pathetic, but like if you're the person who likes the person that little bit more, it's usually like a 60-40 thing. That's the that's a great that's a great dynamic, 60-40, 55, 45. I'm getting my math right. So that's a good dynamic. So if you're the one with a little extra interest, it is not embarrassing or demeaning to court a candidate. And I think a lot of companies have a hard time with what that means. And um, they think it's putting them in a vulnerable situation. But if you know that the market is not in your favor, why not? Obviously, don't be desperate. This doesn't work in dating. It doesn't work in recruiting. But definitely be aware that that's the state that we're in and that can empower your hiring. Excellent. That sounds really good. That's that's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, uh, Mimi, I have to thank you. Uh, this has been really, really refreshing and I personally learned a lot. As I said, it's very different than the conversations we usually have. <laughs> so okay, this good. is uh, very, very exciting. And all, all I can hope for is that you keep making uh, great matches uh, uh, down the line as, as you did for us and for uh, many other companies. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Don't give up on the other, on the other matchmaking. You know, that's also I mean, No, you know, I thought <laughs> that you can never. Once that's who you are, you can never. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybello. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.